Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. So we continue Platform Sutra Book Study, session number six. And uh, our last study session, <clears throat> to tie it together with that, ended with section 23, where Huineng spoke about the correct understanding of taking refuge in the three treasures, the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And as he explained this with simplicity and clarity, he said, taking refuge in the Buddha is turning towards your own enlightened mind. Taking refuge in the Dharma is turning towards the truth of your own mind. And taking refuge in the Sangha is turning towards the purity of your own mind. So simply put, each of us is in essence the Buddha, the Buddha Dharma and the Sangha. So we are, in essence, the three treasures. It is, it is a different way of seeing it. It's not that we have to take something in and uh, run with it or believe it or follow it. It's the other way around. It's, we, it's, it's more to do with stopping the, the, the mind from following others or from following something else other than who we are, in essence. So the three treasures are within at all times. And before we move on to the next section, I want to bring up a part of Bill Porter's commentary from this section, which can help us connect the dots. He says, Through repentance, we wipe out karmic slate clean of attachments and delusions and are now ready to set forth on the Bodhisattva path. The, body, the Bodhisattva path of Mahayana Buddhism differs from the Shravaka path of Hinayana Buddhism in that the Shravakas, Shravaka is a voice hearer, the one who hears the Buddha, seeks Nirvana, while Bodhisattvas seeks, seek enlightenment. By attaining Nirvana, Shravakas put an end to passion and rebirth. But by attaining enlightenment, Bodhisattvas are able to liberate themselves and others as well. Thus, Huineng leads his audience to take refuge in enlightenment, in the realization of enlightenment, in enlightenment itself, and in the manifestation of enlightenment. These are the three treasures of our own nature. They are the true jewels among the rhinestone, the imitations, and synthetic gems of our mind. It's a very interesting way of putting it. Synthetic gems of our mind, what we ourselves create. And then he says, we all have them, but we need to look. And looking for them outside ourselves is a waste of time. And, and so we have to see beyond what we create, beyond our own imitations that are created in the mind. So, moving on to section 24. Good friends, now that you have finished taking refuge in the three treasures, each of you should clear your mind, and I will convey to you the teaching of the Mahaprajna Paramita. Good friends, you may have chanted this without understanding it, now, Huineng is most likely referring to the Buddha's verse from the end of the Diamond Sutra, which he had, he had them all chant at the beginning of this teaching. You may remember that. And this is actually the last section of the Diamond Sutra. 
where it says, A star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, and, and a dream. This is how we should see our lives. And then he says, but if you listen, I will explain it. So you may have chanted it without truly understanding it. But if you listen, I will explain. Then he says, Mahaprajna Paramita is Sanskrit. In our language, it means the great wisdom that leads to the other shore. This teaching must be practiced and not simply chanted with your mouth. Right? As we chanted the Hot Sutra. Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, doing and doing highlighted, doing deep Prajna Paramita, clearly saw the emptiness of all five skandhas, thus relieving misfortune and pain. Now, the five skandhas are form, sensation, perception, reaction, and consciousness. So the doing of enlightenment, rather than contemplating enlightenment, the doing deep wisdom, rather than thinking about deep wisdom. And the doing always happens within our everyday moment-by-moment -moment life, regardless of what it is that we are doing. What we are doing is actually irrelevant to how we are doing it. So if we do it with that mind, with that deep understanding of Mahaprajna Paramita, then everything essentially becomes a gateway. Everything is a gateway. So the doing rather than contemplating. If you chant it with your mouth but don't practice it, it is like an illusion or a mirage. But the Dharma body of those who practice, practice it is the same as the Buddha's. What does Maha mean? Maha means great. The capacity of the mind is so great. It's like space. But if you practice empty mind Zen, you will fall into the featureless void. In this world of ours, space has room for the sun and the moon and the stars, the earth and its mountains and rivers, every plant and tree, bad people, good people, bad teachings, good teachings, heavens and hells. All of this exists in space. The emptiness of our nature is also like this. Very challenging to, to, to actually uh, see what he's referring to. But w what he's saying is that everything and everybody is floating around within this vast spaciousness. And this vast spaciousness actually gives birth, able to give birth to everything. And everything means everything. Beyond or actually including our opinions. So beyond our opinions and including our opinions that arise because they arise within as everything else they arise within this vast spaciousness and uh, again it is something to practice rather than to try to contemplate or try to understand only through cognition right we have to actually feel it experience it go beyond what we think and maybe more importantly, not go along with whatever arises in the mind and then go along with that and create further complications or further mental constructs. And Bill Porter says, uh, commentary on that says, 
Now that his audience have received the formless precepts and taken refuge in the three treasures, Huineng explains the teaching from which all of this developed and on which Mahayana Buddhism is founded. Depending on how one understands the Sanskrit word yana, the Mahayana is the great path or the great vehicle. And what is great is the mind. The path or vehicle represents the realization and manifestation of the mind, which is our Buddha nature. And this nature, which is not only our nature, but the nature of all beings and all things, is defined or characterized by emptiness. But according to the Mahayana, emptiness is not a negation, but rather an affirmation an affirmation of our ineffable unity with all beings and all things. Thus, Huineng likens this nature of ours to space because it embraces all things. What could be greater? What could be greater? Or who could be greater than us, than each of us? Right? It's not the way we see ourselves. It's not the way we see each other. And it's not the way we see the world. The way we see the world is, is highly segmented. And we create hierarchies, right? Within those hierarchies, we, we try to place ourselves. I am here versus that or versus him or her. Or maybe I'm here versus where we'd like to be or where I was. But what this is saying is that within this vast emptiness, there are no hierarchies, there are no parameters. There is no you to find a part of me. There is no tree to find a part of a mountain. There is no ocean to find a part of a river. Everything is everything. So any, uh, before we move on to the next section, let's see, take a few minutes and see if anybody has any questions, comments. You can simply unmute and speak if you would like to. So are we are we clear so far? Clear of about what he's talking about? Yes, no, maybe. Reza, what do you think? You're going to speak for everybody. I think it's a wonderful day today. Um, that um, emptiness is not a negation, but an affirmation. Mm -hmm. It's really um, amazing. I mean, that's just a, a very clear statement. Um, Hui Meng is so good at this clear statement. Um, and and to, and to see it that way is not always easy. Um, but it, um, but yeah, it just it just expands endlessly once you see it that way. Um, it's hard to hold it, also, but um, it's that's the heart of what you we were just saying. <clears throat> thank you, uh, thank you for that. Yes, so so seeing it right, so seeing it in this way changes everything. the The challenge is that we cannot see it this way. 
right? Because singing, singing this way actually means letting go of the eyes. Right? Letting go of the eyes, letting go of, because seeing it implies something that can be, can see something static that is not it. Seeing it is actually losing all gaps, all parameters, is truly letting go. And, and, and that letting go includes letting go of wanting to see it, right? Because as long as I want to see it, there is a problem, right? There is the me who is trying to see that. But how can I see myself, right? As we say, how can the eye see itself? It's impossible. And one of the things we have to let go of in, in practice is, is actually the search. Right? It is all embracing, period. So, so this is why it's, it's actually in the doing, right? So in the doing, it's already happening. And in the doing, actually, we may be lost in the doing, and the doing verifies itself. Or, or we can say that the doing is verifying us, us to ourselves, if that makes sense. It may not, but that's okay. Sugiyoko, good morning. Hello. Um, so I will just say, um, for the sake of anyone who might feel the way I feel about all this, mm -hmm. um, it's actually very clear. Hui uh, Neng's expression is very clear to me, and your expression is very clear to me. And um, uh, there is a, uh, for me, a sense of frustration because most of the time I, the world does not appear this way to me. So um, there is a gap between my experience and something in me that wants to experience this other way. And uh, yeah, so mm -hmm. that's all I want to say. I, um, yeah. Thank you. So the frustration is equally floating within that same spaciousness, right? So the frustration is not necessarily something that is hindering, right? We think that I have to get through the frustration so I get to the other side, and in the other side, there is the clarity or there is that spaciousness. But the frustration does not cover it. It does take our attention, right? but it does not cover anything because nothing can be covered. Everything arises within that same vastness, right? Otherwise, it will not be vastness. It will be something else, right? That vastness does not negate anything, right? And it also, so in that no negation, it includes no negating the frustration. It doesn't negate how we feel about ourselves. It doesn't negate our own mind's creations, right? The, what we create, the, 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 the formations that are created in the mind. It doesn't negate anything. It allows. It doesn't know how to not allow for anything. 
So while we may argue internally, it doesn't argue. So we are arguing within this vastness. And then we find some sense of peace within this vastness. Either way, it's always within that same vastness. So, yeah. But yes, frustration happens. Right? So, I, yeah. I was, uh, I, I wanted to, to mention that when I, I mean, recently, um, I found like a new meaning to something we chant all the time, but, you know, like, uh, you know, every now and then it hits you more. Mm -hmm. And um, it was uh, about, I think it's related to, to what we're discussing, which is uh, that delusions are inexhaustible and we want to transform them. Mm -hmm. and, and that idea of transformation wasn't that clear to me, but I think, you know, it's, it's referring to what, what this is that we're talking now, which is how different it looks, the same thing. You know, the frustration, it may look like a hindering thing, or it may be just that, you know, and, and, and that is the transformation um, that we're talking about. It's like a, a different way of looking at the same thing that's going on. Um, and um, and I, I mean, for me, it was like, it wasn't clear. I, I was always understanding it, but I wasn't kind of comprehending it. And, uh, and I think it's very related to this. And it's just uh, this past couple of weeks working on a coin, it was more clear to me mm -hmm. what that transformation means. And I think, you know, that is um, that that um, our own way of looking at the delusions is, is what is making it harder. Mm -hmm. The delusions will always happen. Um, they are inexhaustible. And you know, we, we say that mm -hmm. and, and I believe it's true, you know, and we experience inexhaustible delusions. And so how we look at them is, is that transformation and how, how we are engaged, how we engage with them. I think it is the best way I, I have to express it. Um, so I want to kind of mention that. Thank you. So inexhaustible, because there's always more and more of that delusion, right? Uh, and so is wisdom, right? Wisdom is inexhaustible as well. Right, but you know when we when uh, delusions occur, when frustrations show up, whatever it is that is showing up, allowing it to be there is transforming it. Arguing with it is strengthening it. Right, so arguing with it or not wanting it or not wanting to feel this way is fixating, which means the delusion actually deepens. I don't want to feel this way. Right? What am I doing? I am fixating on I feel this way. By saying I don't want to feel this way, I am, I am uh, relying or I am making that statement based on the assumption that there is such a thing fixed. Right? That's what I'm saying to myself. And I don't want, to, I don't want that. Right? But if I look at it and I see that, well, there is the feeling, but it is actually not substantiated. It's moving. It's changing. Well, obviously, I did not feel this way yesterday, right? So how could it be fixed, right? I did not feel this way yesterday or the, a week ago. And then I know that I've, I've gone through all kinds of experiences in my life. And obviously, they change. I don't need to read a book to understand that. I just look at my own life and I see that everything is changing. If everything is changing, nothing is fixed. If nothing is fixed, how can I be trapped by that which is not fixed? 
We have to study our own history, our own lives. Because what Winang is talking about, what the Buddha is talking about, we always experience in our lives. Right? It's not, it's, it's not something outside of what we already go through or what we have gone through. So, but, what we, but we do have to change our perspective. We do have to change the way we see it because the, the, the tendency always is to fixate. So, but yeah, thank you for that. Okay, can we move on? See, once Raisan starts talking, everybody wants to say something. Can I jump in? Please jump. <laughs> um, firstly, about fixating, I just want to say that this is not typically something I would do. I don't really, I'm very reserved and quiet. I don't, don't like speaking up, so transforming. <laughs> um, but I do want to say good morning to everybody. And um, Sigyoku, I kind of wanted to address what you mentioned about you know having frustration in the experience, but also not having the experience because I do understand and I feel like um, in relation to the text, um, when we're told to live in enlightenment, um, we hear so many different, uh, we hear enlightenment often in our practice, but um, then we're also told that enlightenment is, you know, an illusion and the closer, or the more you believe in enlightenment, the further away you are from it. So it's kind of, contradictory so I guess I could see what you're saying maybe in that way where you know it could be a little frustrating because for me I, I see it that way it's a little tricky to understand and, and a little frustrating so thank you Erica and thank you for uh speaking and uh we appreciate that so enlightenment uh or anything right when we make something off it or a goal right off it then it can be very frustrating Right, because we are creating something in the mind and then we are looking for something we ourselves created. Outside of the mind, of our own thinking mind, we will not find it because it's something that is created by the thinking mind, by ourselves, right? But when we, when we, look, when we change it and we practice realization, we are no longer looking for something. We are looking at the way we are practicing which means we are examining the way we live our lives moment by moment, right? So enlightenment or realization or awakening, right? Not as a future goal, but as something that we practice. That is doable. We can do that, right? Which means the attention is, is uh, brought to the moment, to whatever it is that we are doing moment by moment. And we can ask ourselves, how can I practice this, Right? That I can do. I may not understand what realization means or what enlightenment means, but that's okay. I don't have to. What I can do is awaken to this, to the best of my ability right now, which means what? Which means paying attention, which means feeling this moment fully, engaging with this moment fully, rather than going along with some thoughts that show up in the mind. Again and again, bring your attention back to this. Again and again and again and again and again. And then something is transformed. Something is transformed. And something is actually being liberated, right? The attention. We liber in a way, we liberate our attention from our own thoughts. Which means we liberate ourselves from ourselves. We create what is trapping us. 
So when we pay attention to what's going on, we liberate that attention from what we created. And, and, and I think that if we, if we understand it this way and we can practice this way, it makes it much more doable, right? Because, well, I, can, I don't know what that means, but I can do this. Whatever the this is, work, taking care of kids, washing dishes, cooking a meal, doing laundry, cleaning the yard, whatever it is, doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. So we have to make it tangible. Doing deep prajna paramita. Moving on. Okay. Oh, one more. Go. There we go. Um, it, sometimes it strikes me that the language of letting go sounds so negative, and mm. and that it's um, an effort to make sure that something is no longer there, which seems almost impossible. Mm. Uh, and I think one thing that was interesting to me about this affirmation in emptiness is to see letting go as um, a positive, as a, a moving towards something, not having to get rid of something. Mm. And so the, the moving toward is to see the self not as something to be eradicated, but as everything, right? To move the self, to move your identity that you identify with every single thing that's part of your experience. Uh, so that the self expands to become everything instead of being cut off and limited by, you know, politics or family or whatever the particular thing is that I want me to be this instead of that. So that the, the letting go is almost more of, um, I don't know, an image like escaping gravity. Mm -hmm. um, that it's not, again, an elimination or a... Um, it's a transformation, like Daikyo was saying, mm -hmm. and that um, it's a transformation into something you know, totally amazing, almost beyond our ability to understand that I'm everything, um, and that it's not that I have to be something that is um, eliminated. Mm -hmm. so. Thank you. So, so uh, to end with that, there's no need to let go, just become all-inclusive. When you become all-inclusive, you don't need to let go of anything. You don't need to eradicate anything. Becoming all-inclusive allows for all things to come and go. So why would you worry too much about trying to get rid of something, eradicate or let go of something? Right. Allow it to be. Allow it all to be. It's all changing. It's all moving. Right? So, so the, the, uh, the challenge is to move from a static sense of self to a dynamic sense of self. It's not that there is no self. It's just that it's not a static self. Right? It's not that you have to let go of the self. You have to realize that the self is not what you think it is. We have to realize that the self is not what we think it is. And that's the challenge. Right? So, no, there's no need to let go of anything. 
we say letting go, but we mean something different by saying that, right? And what you're saying is let's not get caught up in our connotation or connotations of that statement, let go. Right. Right? And, and yes, there is, it's important to, uh, to, first of all, to examine, to see that we have connotations, right? And to shed light on that and not get caught up in the connotations that, we, that arise in the mind. Yeah. All right. Thank you. All right. We're going to move on. If you, if you have something to say, then take a, take a note and then bring it up when we open it up again. 25. Our nature contains the 10,000 dharmas. That's how great it is. And the 10,000 dharmas are our nature. To see humans and non-humans, both the good and the bad, good dharmas and bad dharmas, without rejecting them and without being corrupted by them, this is to be like space. This is what we mean by great. This is what maha means. Deluded people chant this with their mouths. The wise practice it with their minds. There are also deluded people who call having an empty mind and not thinking great. But what isn't this, that isn't how this works. The capacity of the mind is great, but if you don't use it, it is small. If you merely talk about emptiness with your mouth, but don't practice this practice, you are not a disciple of mind. You are not a disciple of mind. So what he's saying is the capacity is great. The capacity of the mind, our ability, our potential is great. But if we don't use it, it is small. It's an extremely important point, right? So yes, we may experience feeling small or, or feeling uh, insignificant, right? Or diminished to, to, to some degree. And we actually, by going to that and by talking about it, by thinking about it, we create a sense of small or sense of smallness, right? And then while the capacity is great, we're not tapping it. We are not using it. And therefore, our lives become very small. We become very small. So within this great vastness or emptiness, we can float within a bubble. We float within a bubble of me, me and my story, me and my likes and dislikes. And then we create that sense of separation and we experience life as being separated from. Right? Now, again, it's all possible. It's all doable. Within this 10 direction, directions wide open, we could do anything. So while the greatness does not diminish, we feel, we can feel diminished. And we can feel diminished for an entire lifetime. That's why it's urgent, right? And that's why it'll be a shame to go through life holding on to a story of, of, of a diminished self or not worthy self while sitting on a bucket of Greatness, in a way, right? Sitting right on it, sitting within it, with the eyes closed. <clears throat> Bill Porter says, The emptiness of our nature contains the 10,000 realities 
Now, the 10,000 dharmas, which is a common term used in Zen, means a lot, everything, basically, right? It's just, it's just a number. It's a great number. So, it contains the 10,000 realities we give, we, name, we give names to. But all of these realities, dharmas, are not only in our nature. They are our nature. So, this is the one mind, right? So, it's not in it is one and the same as, which means we are one and the same as everything else. So the mountains, the rivers, the oceans, the trees, the plants, the soil, everything is us. The capacity of the mind is great, but if you don't use it, it's small. And uh, Tsung Pao edition adds this paragraph right after that line. Good friends, the capacity of the mind is great. It encompasses the realm of reality. When we use it, everything is clear. And whatever we use it in response to, we know. The All becomes one. The one becomes all. When we move freely and our mind is without obstruction, this is Plajna. Good friends, all prajna wisdom rises from our nature and doesn't come from outside. Don't misdirect your attention. This is called the self-functioning of our true nature. When one thing is true, everything is true. The mind's capacity is great, but if you don't use it, it will not manifest as great. So the potential for manifesting greatness is always there, but as long as we think we are small and limited, we act as small and limited and fearful. So, do you feel this way? So, do, do you feel at times diminished and then at other times expanded? What does that mean? What is that teaching us, right? That... You know, one moment we can feel contracted, the next moment we feel expanded. Who am I? The contracted one or the expanded one? Kako, you want to say something? Yeah, I was just thinking about, um, I think at least for me, the tricky part is to know the difference, the contracted one, the expanded one. Both of those in a way are concepts, and yet it's important to have this concept am i am i in my buddha mind or not right now sunday morning you know or at any given moment am i the contracted mind am i the expanded mind how do i know the difference or is there a difference do you need to know the difference what does it yeah, mean to know i, I think i need to settle into the expanded mind otherwise i'm in delusion but, but that, how do i know if i'm in delusion or not what we're saying, what he's saying is that even that is within that greatness, right? So mm -hmm. so instead of trying to figure out, am I here or am I there, we may need to just see it rather than fixate on it, right? Rather than saying, I am this versus that, there is that experience and then there is this experience, right? And maybe more importantly is to see that it changes, Mm, yeah, it changes. If, right, and, and so since it's always changing, I am neither this nor that. 
You see, it's not that I'm contracted or expanded. The expansiveness is not in question. It's not my expansiveness. Right. It's just expansiveness. Right? And if it's changing, it's changing. So who am I? This or that is actually a question that can lead to realization of I don't know. Yes. And I don't need to know. Yeah. So who am I? It's just, just, that's it. Yeah. So maybe just keep the question in the background. Yeah. And realize that you can't know mm. because you change. Because one moment you think you're this and next moment you think you're that. Right? Because we get overwhelmed with emotions and thoughts and, oh, oh I must be this now. I'm a bad guy. And then I do something good for other people. Oh, I'm a good guy. Who am yeah. I? Am I bad? Am I good? Am I in? Am I out? Am I expanded? Am I contracted? I'm all of it. How's that? Okay. Right? Sounds good to me. All right. Good. Thank you. Yes, Mjogen. In relation to that, I just wanted to share an experience, and it's an Aikido experience, so not everybody um, has taken an Aikido class, but um, sometime last week, one of those days last week I was training, and um, instead of, I I was able to experience something where um, I didn't think I was anything, and I became everything else. And it was during a um, randori, which is, you know, one technique after the other, after the other, after the other. And people just kept coming in and I kept merging with them and moving and merging and moving. And I realized after that, that that was like everything dropping away. So I wasn't thinking of myself as Buddha mind or anything else. I was just doing and I just wanted to share that experience um, because when, when it happens, you don't know it's happening because you are everything. Right? Yeah. So, so body and mind drop away. This is why sometimes we say to, to, to lose oneself is to find oneself. Right. So it's not a process of thinking, am I this, am I that? It's, it just, every, the thinking drops away and you are, it's really, um, an experience that everybody can have, but we all think that we have to think, I think. <laughs> yeah. We think that we have to think. Thank you. Anyone else? Tadio, good morning. Good morning. Um, yeah, I mean, I can certainly share that I've, um, I've had experiences where I felt like uh, due to circumstances, you know, whether it's events surrounding me or people, what people say to me that I've been, you know, put into a very small box and um, I'm actually a very small person, so I actually do fit in suitcases uh, pretty easily. But um, I've often found, like, even in that moment, you know, feeling, you know, diminished in everything, 
sometimes I, I don't know, I, I start to really look at it and go like, what, you know, who am I and what do I have? And I find suddenly like I've slipped out almost like a, like in a magic show, you know, it's like they open it and it, and you're gone. Cause I, I don't, and it's just, it's so interesting. Cause you realize like the box must've been just my mind, you know, is surrounding me and, and, uh, making me so diminished. And I, I don't, it's so, but I mean, it is, it's hard. It's hard to find that moment of sort of calm and take a, you know, take a breath and, and think your way out of this imaginary box. Mm-hmm. Um, what this passage actually reminded me of at first, which maybe also I think is worth sharing, speaking of boxes and, and uh, is I think this was Nelson Mandela when he was imprisoned. I should, maybe I shouldn't tell this story unless I know, I go look up the details, but I believe he said that there was an interview after he was out of prison and somebody said like, how did you, how could you tolerate being in such a tiny small cell um for you know so long and and um when you were really the one who was right and he said something along the lines of well i realized that the people who put me in the cell were in a much smaller cell than i was in and um i think that really sort of puts it into perspective about Mm -hmm. how we engage with the world and whether we're in a box or not in a box Mm -hmm. yeah it's helpful it's, hel- it's helpful to understand that uh, within this vastness, we can create tiny bubbles, right? Tiny cells for ourselves and then uh, operate from that, right? So, so we can have a very small understanding, yet be very vast, right? Without, igno- without knowing that we are vast, without acknowledging that we are vast. Right, and that that uh, becomes the dominant. Those become the dominant factors or dominant energies in our lives. Yeah, it's almost like we have to get so small to realize how big we are. It's like, yeah, we have to recognize. Thank you. Okay, moving on uh, to twenty six. Patient, did you have your hand up? Say again. I I saw a hand there. Oh, yes. Good morning. Oh, yeah, 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 I just yeah. wanted, relating to that point, um, if that's all right, Rishi, sure, sure. Um, I just find it encouraging that when you're going through, when I'm very self-aware and when I'm feeling like I am very contracted, if those day-to-day judgments and the hierarchical thinking that you were mentioned mm. come into play, um, I just find it encouraging that I just am aware how fleeting it is. And just, you know, only hours ago or a day ago, I was feeling so expansive mm-hmm. and almost joyous and those kinds of feelings. So it's just it's just encouraging just to know it's it's just moment by moment. And right. even if it's not changing in the next five minutes, you know, it's just going to be a matter of a few hours or the next day or whatever. And it just changes so quickly yeah. and it can change in the next five minutes. So for me, it's just encouraging having that self-awareness to know nothing is fixed. All those points that you were talking about. Really. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mason. It's Yeah, it, it, it should be encouraging for us, right, to see that I am not this. I am not this kind of a person or that kind of a person, which is what we do to ourselves. I must be this kind of a person or he or she must be that kind of a person, right? While, and then when we, when we say that, we become blind to the fact that that's not true. We're changing. And then when we observe it, we realize that's not true. The experiences are real. It's just that we are not that. 
And the other thing is also, if we did not have the capacity to experience this uh, sense of vastness, we would never experience it. Right? How could we experience it if, we, if it wasn't in us already? The capacity to, be, to feel this way. We would always feel the same. Right? That would, be, that would make sense. So the fact that we, we experience this vastness, it doesn't matter how often or to, for how long, but that fact is showing us that, that we have the capacity and the ability to feel this way. It's a great teacher by itself. So, yeah, we have to study ourselves. Thank you, Mishin. Okay, 26. Uh, what does Prajna mean? Prajna means wisdom. At all times to keep your thoughts free of ignorance and always practice wisdom. This is what we mean by the practice of Prajna. One thought of ignorance and Prajna stops. One thought of wisdom and Prajna reappears. It reappears. Now, this stops and reappears doesn't make it go away or come back. It's always there. It's just that the attention goes somewhere else. And we go along with that and we fixate, which means we don't see it. Not seeing it, we're not allowing it to function through us. A person whose mind is full of ignorance says, I'm practicing prajna, but prajna is no form. It's the nature of wisdom. Right? To say I'm, I'm practicing prajna is, again, to step out of, to separate ourselves from. I, because I is prajna. If the I is nothing other than prajna, how can I say I am practicing prajna? And what does paramita mean? This is Sanskrit. In our language, we say what leads to the other shore, which means what transcends birth and death. When we are attached to objects, we give rise to birth and death. Like when waves form on the water, this is what we mean by this shore. When we are free of objects, there is no birth or death. Like when a river flows on forever. So we say... This leads to the other shore. This is what we mean by paramita. And paramita means going beyond, right? Going beyond. So he says, when we are attached to objects, we give rise to birth and death, right? So being attached to an object or to a self is creating a segment. That segment has a beginning and has an end. I create the segment and that segment has a beginning and has an end. But this, this is how we become attached. And it's, right, it's important to, to see that as it happens in real time. Attachment is not a thing, but it becomes that. So we create something or we create someone and we become attached to what we ourselves create. And we, if we step back and observe the creations, observe the mental formations as they happen, and observe the disintegration of the mental formations, then what are we learning? Essentially, we learn that it does not have a beginning and an end. While it seems to have a beginning and an end, essentially it does not have a beginning or an end. Not having a beginning or an end, how can we become attached to that? So there is, there is 
a logical way of seeing it, right? It kind of makes sense in a different way beyond the, the thinking mind. It does have a logic, actually, in, in, in different than the way we think. So paramita means going beyond. As it says, deluded people chant this with their mouths, the wise practice it with their minds. If delusions are present when you chant, because delusions are present, it doesn't really exist. But if you practice when you chant, then it really exists. Those who realize this teaching, realize the teaching of prajna and practice the practice of prajna. Those who don't practice it are fools. This is not a, a, a derogatory uh, term in this case. It's just, it's basically referring to our stuckness, right? It's not other people are fools. We have that in us. Both the capacity for wisdom and the capacity for becoming, acting as fools. But if they did practice it, for even one moment, the Dharma body would be the same as Buddha's. Good friends, affliction is enlightenment. One moment you're deluded and a fool. The next moment you're awake and a Buddha, which is what we just talked about. And we feel this way, right? One moment we feel silly. We feel like fools, right? Well, maybe the next moment we feel that we were acting like fools, right? Because when we're in it, it doesn't feel that way. But then afterwards, when we realize, what the hell was I thinking? Why did I act this way? Right? Then this is the light of wisdom shedding this beam on our fullness or our ability or propensity to become this way. The Tsungpao edition continues right there. It says, when past thoughts are attached to external states, they are afflictions. When future thoughts transcend external states, they are enlightenment. So from a static being to a dynamically changing expression. That's that movement. From what is static to what is dynamic. So when past thoughts are attached to external states, they are afflictions. That is looking back, not looking forward. When the future thoughts transcend external states, they are enlightenment. Why? Because it is, it is dynamic. And in dynamic, as we were saying before, we cannot find ourselves. We cannot see ourselves. We don't know. Then we know. And he says, good friends, Mahaprajna Paramita is the noblest, the highest, the ultimate. It isn't present, it isn't past, and it isn't future. And yet the Buddhas of the present, the past, and the future all come from it and use this great wisdom to reach the other shore and to break through the afflictions and passions of the five skandhas. As the noblest, the highest, and the ultimate, so should you praise the, this teaching of the Supreme Vehicle. Those who practice it are certain to become Buddhas. But it is neither present, nor past, nor future. It's the same as meditation and wisdom. It isn't affected by any Dharma. The Buddhas of the past, the present, and the future all come from it and thereby transform the three poisons into morality, meditation, 
and wisdom. So, any comments, thoughts, questions? So do we see the, the transformation moving from what is static to what is dynamic? Meaning, do we feel our own sense of feeling static or stuck? And then feeling that we somehow, somehow it dissolves or somehow we experience the, 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 it being dissolved, right? Or, or, or disappearing. And then we shift. And then again, we get stuck and then we shift from that. Jakudo, you're nodding. Yeah, good morning. Um, I was just, I was thinking about yesterday morning. <clears throat> you know, I'm sure it happens for all of us all the time. I was uh, being, being February and trying to be on top of the things I was, I was doing some some tax stuff and getting extraordinarily frustrated. Uh, um, meanwhile, we're trying to get the kids out the door, and there's just too much going on. And so, uh, this this frustration is is bubbling over. And um, you know, I was just thinking about that. Um, you know, in one moment, being kind of small and contracted and a fool, and then we get to where we're going. And, um, you know, Christine Hoju just sort of like gave me a little smirk and, uh, you know, kind of just like snapped me out of it. Um, so it just, the kind of, and, and then later in the day, there was something else that frustrated again. Uh, but it was, uh, that's what I was thinking about when I was nodding the, uh, constant change. Um, so thank you. Yeah, thank you. Right, it's encouraging, right? It's also encouraging to have somebody who will give you a nudge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and help you, help you snap out of it. <laughs> right, we should be Dharma friends to each other like this, right? <laughs> and remind each other to move. There was, uh, uh, I wanted to, uh, before we uh, move on, I wanted to read something here from Bill Porter's commentary. He says, Prajna doesn't mean to get rid of our thoughts just to keep thoughts free of ignorance. Is that asking too much? Is it asking too much? Are we, is the practice asking of us too much? Right? It is asking us to keep moving. Right? It's asking us to not fixate. Is that too much to ask? Right? If we can just do that, then every thought becomes a thought of wisdom, a thought of things as no things, a thought as no thought. Thus, in the practice of prajna, every affliction becomes a door to enlightenment. Every, every moment is essentially an opportunity. In fact, the nature of affliction and enlightenment are not different. But unless we practice prajna, affliction is affliction and enlightenment is enlightenment, and the two are worlds apart, right? Because we hold on to, two, to those two as being worlds apart. That is fixed, that is fact. The other thing is fixed as well, right? And I put myself here versus here, 
or versus there. I am definitely not that because this is clarity and I am within obscurity. But if we don't do, if, if one second of stepping outside of that opens it up and then there is a sense of clarity without getting rid of obscurity. Meaning without creating two from what is clear and what is obscure. And he's saying, he's saying here, both clarity and obscurity arise from the same nothingness. So, so now what? Yes, Dion, good morning. Good morning. Um, what comes up for me with this is redemption. There's a lot of redemption in this. Um, <laughs> Jacuto talked about getting a nudge from his wife and I was nudging my husband while he was driving yesterday. And um, at the same time, it's <laughs> I kind of fell into Buddhism even more because of my husband's driving. And that's because I made a lot out of his driving. I, I go through heaven and hell. <laughs> but it's kind of funny, too, because even though I'm judging him, um, I find that I have to find compassion for him as well. And uh, when we do get home and the day transpires and we recall what happened, it's kind of funny because I'm like, yeah, your driving sucks, but I'm glad we got home safe and sound. <laughs> and it, it's it's all about redemption at that point and how we have compassion for ourselves and others. Because we, we tend to look inward mostly. We think about what other people are thinking and all this and that. But at the same time, we judge so much of others as well. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, my husband's, uh, I may think my husband's driving sucks, but we do get home. <laughs> we do arrive home safe and sound. So I have to, um, I have to look at my husband in a way that, uh, not so judging and perhaps helping, aiding mm -hmm. more, mm -hmm. <laughs> being a better passenger. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Being, we can write a book about that, being a better passenger. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Anyone else? I could go. I think your cat wants to say something. I know, Maya's here to say hi. <laughs> Loves to be the center of attention. Come on, Maya. All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> um, you know, when... Um, you read like we don't have to get rid of our thoughts we just want thoughts to be free of ignorance and is that so much to ask um i was like it feels like a lot to ask sometimes because uh thought like the ignorance and thoughts can be really tasty mm -hmm. um and i'm someone who is on like my social media choice is twitter so there's always some kind of discussion happening Mm -hmm. And the state of our current social media is that like uh, certain forms of discussion like controversy or outrage is monetized or is kind of put at the front of my feed. And it just gives me something to like a chicken cartilage to chew on on my way to work. And it's kind of tasty and kind of fatty. I'm like, yeah, what is up with that? 
And I think also at the same time, what you're reading is very encouraging because sometimes when I'm chewing that chicken cartilage, I'm like, well, I recognize that um, I'm having, I'm kind of feeding my ignorant thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I think the only way I can put down this chicken, this chicken bone is if I have something even like unbelievably tasty that I can jump onto next. Like I want a clear pool with the, like, I just have all this like lush imagery. I want something to jump to. And I think what you're reading reminds me that the only, it's not like I have, when I'm having those ignorant thoughts, I don't have to like straighten up and tighten up, but all I have to do is just go home for one second. Mm-hmm. Because all the things that I think I need in order to put this down are things that I'm, I'm reminding myself actually of things inside of myself when I'm imagining those things. Mm-hmm. So I feel encouraged. Good. Thank you. Yeah, we like to, we love to chew the fat, right? We love to just, uh, yes. And it, it is very enticing, right? But then, you know, to, to actually see that or to be exposed to, to, to Dharma teaching or to experience Dharma teaching, right, is to realize what we are stifling, right? There's so much uh, greatness and beauty and preciousness that we are stifling while we do, the, while we chew the fat, right? And, and, and then it's just a shame, right, that we have all this beauty within that we uh, ignore it. Or we choose to ignore it, right? Not knowing that we choose to ignore it, right? So to bring it up to the surface, to realize I can do something else. I can snap out of it without getting rid of anything, without stifling anything, without doing anything. I could just right now do some, interact with this moment in a different way without changing the circumstances. Right? It's not that my circumstances are not good enough for that, which sometimes we think, right? Either my circumstances or my karma. My karma is so heavy that it must not allow, it probably does not allow for me to experience this sense of expansiveness. Right? Because I'm really, really stuck. Right? And, And when we think that, we create that. The thought of that is creating that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I love what Tyree said earlier about just being the like a magic act. You just disappear from inside the box. Mm-hmm. I really, I really like that. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, did I miss anyone? Any other hand? Okay, Mason. Good morning again. Morning again. Um, it was really a question because um, if you are busy chewing the fat or um, feeling that you are in that contracted state, like I did feel that momentarily this morning, um, I, I know Jakuda mentioned that he got nudged out of his state by Christine, but like, what for you, Roshi, is a is a quick the quickest way to get out of that state and. So I found like I was very aware and wanted to be out of it, but couldn't. And I was even in a beautiful surround. I was in a nature reserve, which would normally be quite transformative for emotions for me and stuff. And it didn't, it didn't happen. And I was wondering, is there for generally for people a quicker, a quick fix out of it? I'm guessing like acceptance uh, of the situation is 
you know, is a good starting place. Um, but is, do you have any suggestions for that? Yeah, so, right, you, t- you talk uh, about acceptance, right? It, it's really becoming aware of uh, inner conflicts, inner resistance as it's being, as it's formulating, as it's, as it's arising, right? So the question is how quickly, and it's a practice, right? How quickly can I become aware of my inner resistance, right? So, so you know, we say acceptance, but acceptance is kind of like a title, right? It's not the work itself. The work itself has everything to do with becoming aware or, or maintaining a sense of awareness, right? And it doesn't, it should not really start, start there, right? We should work on maintaining a sense of awareness all the time of our state of being. What is my state of mind right now? What is it now? What is it now, right? And as long as we maintain that state of awareness or sense of awareness of our state of being, then we are going to see slight changes. And we are more likely to see the slight changes as they start to arise before it becomes something big, which then we have to, it's a big, it seems like a big thing we have to chip through, right? Chip away at, right? So, so constant awareness, right? What's my state of mind right now? Am I fighting this? Am I arguing with that situation, with that person before I even say something? Right, because when we say something, it's already after a long battle within, not liking someone or not liking what someone did, somebody does, for example, right, or not liking the situation or the weather or whatever. But even if an, an like an issue like that hasn't arisen, if you just for no particular reason find yourself, or it's a multiple things, it's like many things you find yourself in that state. Um, is there something like, because, you know, you're talking about sort of more preventative mm-hmm. thinking, just awareness, right, prevention through awareness. Mm-hmm. But if you find yourself there, not through a particular issue, um, is there a way that you found in your experience or anyone's experience to to nudge yourself out of it? Yeah, sometimes uh, turning attention to the breath is helpful. Sometimes movement is helpful. Uh, expanding from that, you, you can visually, you can look at the sky, you can look at the ocean, you can expand physically, right? So your vision can expand, right? You know, and, and for you, it's simple. You just open the window, you look out, you see the ocean, right? So, or the sky or whatever, right? That can invite spaciousness, mm, true. right? And also it can offer plenty of space for those thoughts, Right, so you don't have to carry those thoughts in your mind on your shoulders, right? It's like, well, I feel this way right now, but I'm going to offer that to the world. Meaning, you know, it can be supported by the earth, by the sky, by the ocean. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, related to to the topic of awareness that you are mentioning, I mean, like I, you know, it, it is true the task is to be kind of constantly aware. Um, and, and, and take a look and give us the space to act mm-hmm. based on, on a, an awareness of what's going on, you know, internally, um, not only outside, of course. But, uh, but I think, you know, you know, at least for me, many, many times that awareness turns a little bit chachi. You know, uh, we judge kind of what we're doing or how we're feeling or how we are supposed to be feeling versus how we are feeling. And, 
you know, and, and those are, um, I mean, the awareness is like, oh yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm not connected right now or I'm not, you know, like, and, and, and we end up with that, that sensation of being off again, you know, and it's funny because I mean, it's like defeating the awareness purpose. Um, so, I mean, the, the trick there is, you know, even if you're like, for instance, I mean, like you mentioned was saying this phenomenal surroundings and I'm here and why I'm feeling this way, you know, and, and I think, you know, that, that, that sensation of something is off is creating itself a problem, you know, and, and that is kind of what, you know, the awareness should be is like, well, why do we think something is off, you know, and, but we don't, we don't do that. I mean, we just kind of get into that awareness of, oh, something is off. I, I need to snap out of this, you know, and, and, and it's true that you need to snap out of it, but also it's true that you are also creating that self-awareness sometimes is, can create the, the own trap uh, of like you defining that this is not good. Um, um, so, great. So, uh, you know, that awareness, I mean, like, that's what I was trying to say is that the awareness sometimes we kind of can be, can be def self-defeating if we don't do it the right way. Awareness itself is neutral. What you, yeah. what you become aware of becomes the source of what is not neutral. You see, awareness is like a flashlight. The flashlight uh, shines light on whatever, right? It's just what we see is what is trapping us. But what we want to do is go back to the awareness. Raw awareness does not have good or bad. It doesn't care about good or bad. What you see creates connotations. Those connotations create thoughts, feelings, memories. Those are the trap. Or those are the ingredients that create or the building blocks of the trap. The awareness it does not have it. Now, what the, the problem is that sometimes I think we confuse what the light is shining on with the light itself. That's the problem. The light is free of what it is shining on. Regardless, it doesn't matter what we think, right? How can the light be uh, tainted by what it is shining on? Right? It, when the light is shining on gold, it doesn't become richer. When it's shining on crap, it doesn't become smelly. Right? It, does, yes. it, it, does, it doesn't have that in it. It can't, right? So we're only talking about awareness. And then see what the awareness is shedding light on and just that, only see. That's it. Leave it at that. Leave it at that is leave it at that. Become aware, period. I, I think that, that it's exactly the trick. You know, like uh, sometimes we confuse becoming aware to start judging what we see yeah. with that awareness, you know, and, and that's when we get trapped into our own. Exactly. Um, yeah. And that's and natural. It's, yeah, na it's I mean, natural. Th that is kind of a, another layer of, of later on because I mean like, okay, becoming aware, but also knowing how to be aware is part of it. Like not, not be aware to judge everything you see, yes. but be aware to kind of just see. Yes. Like you were saying, yeah. Yes, and that, that it's, a, it's a form of training, right? We have to train ourselves to be able to do that. So, yeah, that's a good point. Thank you. Should we move on? We have uh, see if we can get through another section. 
before we wrap it up today. Good friends, that's 27. Good friends, <clears throat> this Dharma teaching of mine produces 84,000 kinds of wisdom from one kind of prajna. And how so? Because people have 84,000 passions, countless passions, right? Delusions are inexhaustible. If they didn't have any passions, prajna would be ever-present and inseparable from their nature. Those who realize this teaching do so through no thought, no memory, and no attachment. Don't create a bunch of delusions. You yourself are the nature of suchness. View all dharmas with wisdom, neither grasp nor reject them. This is the way to see your nature and become a Buddha. Actually, this connects very well to what Daikyo just brought up, right? So it's neither grasp nor reject, right? The grasping and rejecting has to do with what we shed light on, right? And the way we interact with that. But the prajna itself, itself is just is shedding light, right? See it, but do not make anything of it. Or see it without parameters, Right? Without parameters, I am neither good nor bad. While I may be experiencing this or going through this, those uh, moments, I'm neither this nor that. And then uh, this is from the commentary. Bill Porter says, No thought, no memory and no attachment. No thought of the future. No memory of the past. No attachment to the present. No thought of the future transformed the poison of greed into morality. No memory of the past transformed the poison of anger into meditation. No attachment to the present transformed the poison of delusion into wisdom. You yourself are the nature of suchness. Suchness is another name for reality. And reality, Huineng told us in section 17, is the body of thought while our thoughts are the, its function. No thought is more or less real than any other thought, but when we separate our thoughts and ourselves from our thoughts by trying to grasp them or reject them, we separate ourselves from reality and create the fiction of transient existence, both for our thoughts and ourselves. So, does that connect? To what we talked about up to now in terms of our own creation in terms of how we uh, meet so and the way he talks about no thought no memory and no attachment and then also the connection Bill Porter makes with the three poisons greed anger and ignorance so so you know, those are the three poisons and of course, we have the three hidden treasures. And you remember what these are? You're going to have to unmute if you want to say something. I think some of you know what it is, but you have to unmute. <laughs> Meishin, you were going to say something? Buddha, Dharma, Sangha? No, those are the three treasures, the three oh. hidden treasures. Okay, I'm going to remute, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. Right, the three hidden treasures. Anyone? Greed, anger, and ignorance. Thank you. Yes. The three poisons are greed, anger, and ignorance. The three hidden treasures are greed, anger, and ignorance. Why? Because they are marvelous portals to realization. 
So what we think is creating stuckness is a doorway to realization. Which means do not reject anything. Every ingredient in your life, in our lives, is as great as anything else. Anything we go through. So we can either create a story from the ingredients or use every ingredient to free ourselves. Go ahead, Jose. Speak. So um, in terms of that, um, I had a moment the other day where I was actually transforming an experience with trash into um, wisdom and uh, kind of relates to this idea of stuckness. So I thought I'd share it. So you know, busy morning, I poured the milk and, you know, like, I was like, oh, I'm going to put this carton in the, uh, in the recycling bin. We have one of those roll out trash cans, trash in the front, recycling in the back. And, you know, I could have just made the choice to just like, you know what, I'm just going to set this over here or, or the worst choice of putting an empty milk carton back in the fridge. I didn't do that. I made a good choice. I was like, I'm going to put this in the bin that's recycling. How great is that? But the trash, the bin was full and I just, you know, instead of you know, emptying it, I crammed it in without even, I had even closed the top. So the, the, you know, the carton was full in and of itself. I just pressed it down so it would stay there and I closed the bin and then I had the moment of realization that, oh my gosh, that's going to expand as soon as I close it. And as soon as I open it again, it's going to fall in the back and it's going to be stuck. I won't be able to close it and I'm going to have to take all this extra time, oh crap, you know, whatever. But uh, even in that, I was just like, that's it. You know, like um, there are so many times we try to like pile things on to ourselves and, you know, uh, don't take that time to explore that piece of trash, that carton, and like maybe compress it down a bit, understand it a bit more and then process it. Mm -hmm. And maybe even the times where we fill up, we're like, oh, I can't take this anymore. I'm frustrated that we don't unload that bag somewhere to open up that capacity then we get stuck again so mm -hmm. that was my moment of wisdom of trash that i wanted to share wisdom of trash sounds good uh yes trash could be a teacher right dealing with trash can be a teacher right and uh and so so the question is how right if we actually take the time as you were saying take the time and it doesn't mean necessarily more time it, it means more more attention than more time and sometimes less attention actually results in spending more time, right? Going around in circles. So yes, so paying full attention. So in a way, giving ourselves fully, right? Doing deep Prajna Paramita has to do with giving ourselves fully without any parameters or discrimination to the moment, without judging the moment, giving ourselves fully to it. then something tr is transformed. But yeah, thank you. So anyone else? We will uh, actually not go forward just so we don't get into a new uh, uh, section and then have no time to finish it. So um, yeah, any comments so far? Anything you want to say, add, or uh, ask about the teachings of uh, Fuineng so far?
Go ahead, whoever wants to speak, just unmute and speak. Yeah, um, the five skandhas, can, yeah. we, can we talk about that? That's a concept that I have a hard time grasping. I don't know if it's necessary, but it's mentioned here, and it's a, it's a little bit confusing as a concept. What do you mean confusing as a concept? So the five skandhas are form, sensation, perception, memory, and consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's a way of thinking about thinking and how we understand... I'm not sure if the advice here is to just, you know, forget about it. Like, there's not even any reason to spend time breaking that down. Or if it's worth considering, you know, what's the difference? Well, so so those are the ways in which we interact with reality, right? This is how we we experience reality, isn't it? Right? You know, how else are we going to experience reality? Right? So, So now the experiences of reality become fixed in our mind. Right. So so now we create something from the way it comes through the senses. Right. And uh, to do deep to see the emptiness of all five skandhas is to realize that we are not stuck. We are not fixed. Right. How do we create a stuck sense of self or a stuck sense of reality by what comes through the senses? Right. It's not Mm -hmm. just all of a sudden you feel this way. Right. We are reacting and interacting with life through the skandhas. I mean, this is, the skandhas are creating something in the mind, right? Or, or, or the thinking mind is creating something from, uh, from, from sensations, from what arises, from what the eye sees, what the nose smells, what the ears hear, right? So we are creating something from that. That becomes fixed in our mind. That is not empty of separate existence in our mind. To see that it is that it lacks separate existence is to be free of it, hmm. right? Right. Same thing with memory. I guess one of them is memory. Memory so too. Right. Right. Memory or perception, whatever it is, see it as that. Yes, that's why he's saying, you know, to let go of memory. Now, to let go of memory does not mean, you know, to become blank in the sense that you know you don't know anything about anything that happened up to this moment. You can know things that happen up to this moment. Of course, it's going to be there in the memory bank, but it doesn't mean that you have to create something or someone from it. It's a different kind of knowing it, right? It's not knowing it, well, I am this one. No, I am not that, but there is the memory. Yeah. Things did happen. Things are happening. But the fact that things happened or are happening doesn't by itself create you unless you take that and glue it together and you can only glue it together in your mind it doesn't ha- reality doesn't do it we do it mm. knowingly or unknowingly we do it right mm. yeah i am that right I am, I am yeah. making something out of that. That it reminds me of a yeah. slogan thing I once heard. Uh, look back at the past, but don't stare. Right. Because when you stare, you're stuck. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. You, you know, acknowledge. Yeah. Acknowledge. Stare and don't fix it. Exactly. We do have to acknowledge that things did happen. Not only that, but we also have to acknowledge that things did deliver residual energy, Right emotional, yeah. psychological energies, right? Of course. Mm. 
-hmm. there, is, there are residual effects, of course. But again, even those residual effects do not create you. So, yes, it has to do with more acknowledgement more than anything, right? So, he says, no memory of the past transformed the poison of anger into meditation. Mm. Because you're not creating anything. And you're using all ingredients, too, right? Yeah. Anyone else wants, wants to say something? I may have missed someone. Raise on, go. Um, I like Mason's uh, notion of a quick fix. Um, that um, <clears throat> when we're caught up with the three poisons, we're in this fast mode, and the quick fix sounds exactly like being in that position. <clears throat> and it's like the the first thing that comes to mind is go slow. Um, you know, however whatever the situation is, and it seems like sometimes that's the most impossible thing to do because everything's going so fast. Mm -hmm. um, but somehow going slow, and then the second thing seems to be something like jumping in the pool, uh, that some kind of a physical way of feeling the world around you, mm -hmm. and that you're kind of that you stop seeing yourself as so separate and individuated and cut off. Um, so in Bermuda, I assume everybody has their own swimming pool and they just walk out the door and jump into it. <laughs> um, no. Um, <laughs> jump in the pool, go for a walk. Um, um, literally, if you have a swimming pool around, but, but some sort of a real physical experience of the world being bigger than I am mm -hmm. and, uh, and moving through that world. So for me, taking a walk would be uh, often the, the best thing to do. Um, but slowing down, there's just so much of a sense when we're in that position, I think of, you know, we have to do this quickly. I have to do something. Uh, and the quick fix is such a nice image of that. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you for the image. Well, thanks, Razan, because also you're so right, especially um, jumping in the pool is so transformative, I find. Um, I'm really lucky that we don't have a swimming pool, but I have the ocean right on my doorstep. And it is so nice that if I'm feeling anger in particular, that is pretty transformative just to jump in if like work and stuff allows it. Um, because there's that like equal expanse of sky and sea. Mm -hmm. So it does make you automatically feel quite connected. So yeah. I agree with you. Going for the walk normally does work for me, but it didn't this morning. So I, if it wasn't so rough and stormy, I totally would have jumped in, but maybe I should have jumped in anyway, <laughs> despite the storminess. <laughs> but it's a good point, and the slowing down, um, especially if you're, yeah, the anger thing, you need to slow down. But anyway, thanks, Razan. Thank you. Good Thank morning. you. Good morning. Who's that? Hi, hey, Joe. Um, Major, good I was morning. In um, what she was saying, a quick fix. So, for us that don't have a pool or the ocean right next to us, <laughs> what, what do we do? How can we work through this, right? So, what usually works for me is if I'm going through a difficult situation, uh, instead of asking, why is this happening to me? I ask, like, what can I learn from the experience? 
or I also look at um, why am I feeling this way? Like what part of my past haven't I worked through that I need that's coming up at the moment, right? And another one is I always think of glasses with pink or blue lenses, right? I'm seeing sometimes I, I wake up and I'm seeing the world through blue lenses. So sometimes things seem to be heavy and maybe negative or this. And then I just, you know, I put my pink ones on and everything seems to come out rosy. It's kind of a psychological, like a mental thing that I do. Like, how can we, you know, I'm driving and I'm listening to a song and everything looks amazingly pink and I'm happy and everything's right. And then somebody will cut me off for being rude. And all of a sudden my pink lenses turn blue and I'm thinking a negative thought about this person that's being reckless and careless and everything else. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where are my pink lenses, right? And then I put them back on and then I try to move forward with that. So for me, it kind of helps me sometimes because we switched very quickly from a positive view of seeing things, you know, um, as they are and um, aware of how we're feeling and our surrounding. And then something will trigger a negative thought or uh, past memory or uh, somebody being reckless or and then it just changes our how we're feeling at the moment but that's to me that's kind of fleeting one moment I'm feeling like this next moment I'm feeling like that but I associate it with what lenses am I wearing today or at this moment right and that kind of helps me kind of snack out of it a little bit so I don't know if it'll you know, might think about it next time if you guys are in that. What lenses am I wearing today, right? Am I wearing the pink ones or the blue ones? How am I seeing the world around me at the moment, right? So hope that helps. <laughs> <clears throat> Thank you, Major. So, so uh, you know, the one thing about that that is, is obviously uh, very important for us to keep in mind is that it changes, right? And the fact that it changes is, is, is always... Uh, a gateway to freedom or seeing that it changes is always the gateway to freedom because it's neither this nor that, right? It is, it is what we, it is how we react, how we, um, what is being triggered in us. So whether it's good feelings or bad feelings that are triggered in us, we are neither this nor that. So we are, we are nothing but constant change. And constant change is actually the same as the expansiveness of reality. That's what it is. It allows for constant change. And if it's not for that, how can I feel this way one moment and that way another moment? Right? And that's what wisdom is, is always shining light on. So, all right. Thank you. Uh, to be continued, uh, one announcement next, uh, Sunday, we have a half day sit. So, and there will be uh, a traditional show rather than a book study. So just keep that in mind. All right. Thank you.